What's going on, Pathways? So uh, my name is Gary, and if we haven't had the privilege of meeting yet, uh, I want to say hi and introduce myself. I've been a part of this church staff for uh, about 26 years. I started when I was like three years old, and uh, it's been a joy of my life to be a part of what God is doing here at Pathways Church, uh, both here on the campus and, and in the lives of those that are part of our online community. In fact, I'm often a part of the online community. If I'm not in this room, I'm watching online uh, from a distance. And part of the reason uh, I watch online from a distance, if you don't know this about me, I'm also a registered nurse. And um, yeah, I didn't say I was a good nurse. I just said I am a registered nurse. So, uh, so I have been uh, actually working remotely. Uh, I'm in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Uh, and I distinctly remember crossing the state line and seeing this picture when I got there. Yeah, the people of Iowa welcome you. And I said this to my wife, literally, I'm like, uh, all I see are cornfields, Lord, I don't see no people. Where am I going and what am I doing? But nonetheless, uh, that's where I am. And uh, my wife and I will be finishing our time there. I've got a, a couple of weeks left uh, there in Cedar Rapids. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began this good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. As a Jesus follower, if your life was to be a GIF today, it would probably read like this. Please wait, still loading. <laughs> because we are a work in progress. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And if you're like me, I'd like to fast forward this process from the, hey, you started this work in me. Can we just get to the completed perfect part? But the reality is, is as long as we have breath in our lungs, we live in this middle part, this messy middle part where Jesus works in and morphing and changing and growing us. And there are times that we gather as a church family and uh, we share the Lord's table. We share communion together. There's times we get to do what we just did a moment ago where we we fix our gaze and adore God through singing and worship and celebrate who he is and what he does. And then there are also times where we get together and we have to process some things. And today is one of those days. It's a day when we need to spend some time as a church family and um, talk about some family matters. And I don't know how you came in here today. I don't know what's going on in your own world that you're trying to figure out how to navigate, but I do know that that verse that we just talked about tells us that no matter what we face in the next few moments or what we're going to face two weeks from now in our own personal lives, it's going to be on this continuum, this journey where he's growing and perfecting us. And God is always at work in us and on our behalf. But uh, today we, uh, we're going to enter some difficult spaces, some turbulence, some rough air. So I think before we do that, I'd just like to take a moment and, um, and pray for us, if that's cool. So let's just bow our heads. God, thank you for your presence that we know is here. And I would just ask at every turn in this service that your spirit would bring your comfort, you would bring your strength to bear on the hearts of your people. 
You know the hearts of every man and woman in this room and those watching online. You know what they need specifically. And so would you give us a tangible sense of uh, your closeness? That you would draw uh, close to us and may our hearts, God, may our hearts uh, start to look more and more like yours. We give you permission today to dismantle the things that stand in the way of our growth and having a heart that's shaped like yours. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I think that was a mixture of really uh, painful, uh, but also there's some beauty in this moment. And I know this can be really disorienting for us. Um, I can't pretend to know how this lands with every one of you uh, individually, and depending on your background and your story and your church history, this can trigger a lot of different emotions, right? I imagine for some of you, it's really hard and it's heavy and it's shocking. Some of you might feel a deep sadness for Adam and his family, maybe a deep sadness for our church family. Some of you might be angry and have questions. And on the other end, there may be some of you that are going, okay, so Adam's human. What's the big deal? Or maybe today, uh, what you just heard feels like small fry because you're navigating something that is really significant in your own personal life. And you just came in here today hoping you would find a, a lifeline of hope in these moments. Wherever you're at on the spectrum, I just want to pause and recognize that and tell you that it's okay to feel what you may be feeling right now. There's a standing invitation found in Hebrews that's extended to Adam, it's extended to me, it's extended to you that says you can come in this place, you can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in your time of need. So that's exactly what we're going to do today. We started off at Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began, and maybe you're like, whoo, I don't feel so confident right now, Gary. Um, this moment and any moment you are going to face does not sidestep or slip around the truth of that scripture. That whatever he began in me and Adam and this church he will be faithful to work on it, to complete it, to use it to grow and mature and make us stronger as a result. But that doesn't mean it's not going to be painful and hard. But the thing is, Jesus in these moments doesn't step away. He steps in. He doesn't throw his hands up and go, ah, I didn't see that coming. Uh, but instead he says, okay. Will you fix your eyes on me? Because you can have confidence in me as your father and you can trust that I am present with you and I'm working on your behalf. And I can bring beauty out of ashes. I've done it thousands of times before. And if you'll follow me and trust me, let me turn what the enemy wants to use for evil and I will somehow redemptively use it for your good. So today, um, today, I'm going to talk to you about three rocks. 
And my hope is that these three rocks will serve as both a reminder and uh, maybe a guide for us this morning. First rock, this rock represents uh, this last weekend for me. Personally, my wife and I uh, decided we were going to take a road trip with our 60-pound boxer, and we were going to go to Kansas City to go see my dad. My dad was recovering uh, from surgery. Um, he's a part of our online community, so hi, Dad. Um, and he's doing uh, quite well. It's significant surgery, but he's doing, he's doing well. So anyways, we go to Kansas City, and every time we go to Kansas City, there's this hotel that we are in love with, and we found the restaurants that we really like to eat at, and so we did that. We had a great visit spent the time, ate the food, and uh, it came time for us to go. In the second half of our trip, we were going to go to Arkansas to see uh, my mom and some family there spend Mother's Day in Arkansas. So we finish our time in Kansas City. We go check out at the hotel. We walk down in our car to get it loaded up, and this is what I walk and see. Yeah, somebody decided for funsies to take a rock or something and smash the windows out of my Kia. And uh, in that moment, you're like, okay, what do we do? So we drove the car over to a car wash and tried to vacuum out the glass the best we could. I get on the phone. I start calling the insurance companies and start trying to call repair shops to see if I could get an appointment in to get this thing fixed. And they're like, yeah, it's going to be several days before we can get you in for an appointment. Okay. Uh, I'm in Kansas and Arkansas, and there are thunderstorms that are going to be rolling through for the next three or four days. So I'm like, this is great. So I did what you guys would do, right? I mean, you do the best you can. And so I tried to MacGyver this thing up. And what's the number one tool MacGyver uses? Duct tape. You're right. Trash bags and duct tape all over my windows. Yeah, it's a real, real classy, real classy look. I can do that for your cars if you want. And so we proceed to Arkansas, and we hang out there, and then I make the seven-hour-plus drive back to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And if you're wondering what that window sounds like and feels like for seven hours, it sucks. It's just loud, and it's raining, and you're like, I'm hating my life right now. This rock and that situation makes me think of where we find ourselves today. This rock makes me think of what this faith community is for because what ended up happening is I went to Cedar Rapids, finally got an appointment in, and I took my car with all these busted out, shattered, broken windows to an expert, and in like two hours, it was back to brand new. The windows were great. It worked the way it was supposed to work. And when it comes to our faith community, Pathways is not a place you come to just be entertained. This is a holy shop where every heart, no matter how broken and shattered like my windows are, they can be repaired and restored and renewed. And we can come in here as broken, shattered people and experience the transformative power of forgiveness and grace. And that's for every person that darkens the door of this campus. Um, our God's a master craftsman. He knows uniquely what you need and how you need to be ministered to the healing 
and the parts of you that are broken. And this is a place for torn up lives to be mended. And the astounding reality is, is this heavenly specialist is not a respecter of, of person, age, gender, position. He works in the lives of everybody who will submit and follow and make their lives available to his restorative works. In Luke 19.10, Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Usually we think of lost meaning like, uh, dude, where's my keys? Or people that are clueless. But that word lost actually means shattered, broken, and perishing. So as it relates to where we are today, if you're feeling broken, if, if someone you know is being destroyed by life, that's the very thing Jesus said, I came to this planet for. And he sees that brokenness. He sees where you sit and he goes, ooh, I'm here for that. That's where I long to step in and do work. And that's who Pathways is. That's who I believe we are called to be. And I think a healthy community, a healthy church family embraces broken people and throws their full support and love behind anyone that needs grace and forgiveness in pursuit of Jesus. So, the hard part is sometimes I think, I don't know about you, the longer I have been in this journey, and I've seen this in many of uh, my friends' lives as well, the longer you go on this faith journey, sometimes this concept of grace starts to feel a little bit more stale as you get your life together. And it gets to be a little bit more, uh, gets to be a little bit more distant. And I can forget where I came from and what I've been saved to. And I start to justify this kind of judgmental attitude when I see brokenness in people around me. And I justify it because I think, well, you know, I don't struggle with that. Or I don't have their issue as if they're like our acceptable flavors of sin that are okay. And so I think it's a pitfall we have to avoid. It's something that we have to monitor in our hearts and be careful with. Uh, the second rock, the second rock I want to talk about is found in John chapter 8. It's a very familiar story. This rock, this rock reminds us and starts the story this way. Jesus, early in the morning, wakes up, he goes to the temple, and he begins to teach. And people start to come in, and a crowd forms to hear him teach. Jump cut to the next scene. Simultaneously, there's a group of religious elite leaders the scribes, the Pharisees. While Jesus is teaching, they nab this sinner, this adulterous woman, and pull her out of the house, and they're gonna march her to Jesus. And as they are dragging this woman through the streets, people see this, and they know what's about to happen because they know her kind, and they know what happens to her kind. And so one by one, they start to join this parade of shame, and as they go... They each pick up one of these weapons because they know how this movie ends. And so they come to Jesus and this woman is thrown at the feet of Jesus like yesterday's trash. 
And these religious leaders say this to Jesus. The law of Moses says this woman's supposed to be stoned, so what do you say we do with her? Now, they were trying to set a trap for Jesus, and Jesus knew this because, duh, it's Jesus, and uh, he knows everything. So what does Jesus do in this moment? He kneels down and starts doodling in the sand. Well, these religious leaders, they can't. They can't stand that. This crowd is bloodthirsty. There's some angry people. They're holding their stones, and they want to know what's going to happen. So the religious leaders don't just let it go. They press Jesus more, and we're picking it up in chapter 8, verse 7, and it says, And as they continued to ask him, Jesus stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you, you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, the people heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Go and sin no more. The crowd surrounds this woman, clenching stones of judgment, blind to their own hypocrisy until Jesus brings it to light by saying, let the one without sin be the first one to cast the stone. Jesus, his statement in that moment, exposed their pride because pride is the lifeblood of judgmentalism. In fact, in James, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Uh, which end of this equation do we want to be on? Probably on the humble so that we could receive grace, right? Wait, 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 Gary. Are, are, are you trying to say that we, we never call sin, sin? Is that what you're doing here? No, I'm, I'm not doing that. In fact, that's not what you have seen this morning. We are called to call sin, sin in our own lives and even to recognize it in the lives of our brothers and our sisters. But it's not done in condemnation or with an air of superiority. Instead, we are called to lead with humility and compassion. In this story, question for you, when did Jesus address her sin? Did he stand when they ask the question and say, oh yeah, you're right, everybody. No, he waits until they leave one by one and he's one-on-one -on -one with this lady. And he moves towards her. That's showing relationship with humility. And he chose not to stone her and lecture her and say, you know, you really are stupid and you know better than this. But instead, he says, I don't even condemn you. He invites her to turn and live a new life in a new way and leave the sin behind. So, and today, maybe you feel more like that woman. Maybe you, maybe you too have blown it and made some mistakes and you're ashamed because you've blown it and maybe you have not been treated in a compassionate way the way Jesus responded. You've been treated more the way the people holding the rocks have responded. 
Maybe perhaps hearing this uh, announcement you heard today, you can feel that inside of you as you start to get angry. And maybe you feel like you wanna be a judge and you wanna condemn and speak to that. But I wanna remind you that there have been billions and billions of people that have walked this planet. There have been millions and millions of people whose lives are chronicled in the pages of scripture, yet there was only one who was perfect and had the right to say, if you got no sin, throw it. Because the sinless one sacrificially paved the way for you and I in our moments of brokenness to be forgiven, and he invites us to turn from our sins and walk a new way. There's a song my parents used to play when I was growing up that said, sweep around your own front door before you sweep around mine. Jesus picks up on that when he says, be careful when you judge because there's probably a beam in your eye and you're talking about a splinter in somebody else's. So my prayer is that we'd be a community, that this rock would remind us that we address our own sins and compassionately address the sins in our brothers and sisters around us without prideful judgment, but with compassion and with encouragement and with the encouragement to say, you can move beyond this and go and sin no more. So this rock reminds me, Gary, don't be a stoner. Uh, you can tweet that. Not maybe in that context, but. All right, let's move on. Third rock. <clears throat> the third rock I want to talk about uh, comes from probably one of the most famous messages ever preached. It's Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. Jesus is just dropping heat. He is for 111 verses explaining to his followers what this new kingdom invitation looks like and how we as Jesus followers are supposed to conduct ourselves as we navigate this world. And he's hitting all the topics. How do you deal with stress? How do you deal with anxiety? How do you set priorities? How do you manage your finances? How do you move in forgiveness and in relationship to each other? And at the very end of this entire sermon, Jesus' mic drop moment is found in verse 24 to 27. And he tells this story as his mic drop. 24 through 27 says, Therefore, everyone who hears all these words I've said, hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, they are like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine but does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who has built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus, at the end of everything he says, he says, it's not your feelings or opinions that determine what kind of foundation your life has been built on. It's not your feelings or opinion that determine whether you have been a wise or you have been a foolish builder. The storms are what expose whether our life is built 
on the foundation that is solid and will survive or whether our world is built on sand that is going to crumble when the storms come. And the thing about storms, you, you don't get to schedule them when they're convenient for you, do you? Nah, they just show up in our lives and, and sometimes we don't really, really know what kind of foundation our life is built on until the storm is there. Let me give you an example because there are times we think we are standing on solid ground, but we find out we build our identity on other people's opinions of us. And when their opinions are up or down, we find our identity and our house of identity starting to crumble. Our peace can be built on our bank account statement. And can I be candid and just like, real with you, um, even our relationship with God, the foundation of our relationship with God, it can be built on the successes and failures of a leader or an organization instead of on a rock of our relationship with Jesus. I've been here for 26 years and I have walked through a lot of storms with this church, with my own personal life. And I have stood eyewitness on multiple times seeing God's faithfulness invade difficult situations. I've seen the church unite and rally in prayer and worship and serving and growing stronger through those storms. I've seen individuals navigate their own personal storms and dig these really deep reservoirs of faith, faith and, and finding peace that they never thought they could experience in the middle of a storm. But I've also seen people in their faith collapse when the storm comes because their personal relationship and their faith was not built on the rock of who Jesus is. Instead, it was built on the idol of charisma and personality of an organization or a person. And it's tragic when I see that happen to somebody's faith journey. I've never met a person who would say, you know what? I want to be foolish. I want to live a life that's really flimsy. But I have met people who have refused to put the words of Jesus into practice when it comes to an issue like forgiveness. Jesus calls them to forgive, and they're like, I'm not putting that into practice. I'm not going to let this go. And then every time they have an interaction with that person that they have a problem with, that storm causes their self-identity and their whole world to kind of wobble and fall apart because They've not built it on the rock and put those words into practice. So this third rock reminds me that I need to evaluate what my foundation is when the storms are here. And perhaps for you today, because of what you heard or because of what you've been facing in your own personal storms, maybe it's time for you to do some rebuilding today. Jesus says the only way to build a durable life, a durable faith, is to put those words into practice. And so I want to just give you a little time 
to consider what God may be wanting to speak into your life in this moment. Would you bow your heads with me? Maybe you're in this room and you've actually never had a relationship with Jesus. All you've ever known is storm after storm and it's devastated your life and left you wondering if there's anything you can count on, anything you could rely on. And I wanna tell you today that there is a rock, there's a, a love, there is a hope that you can build your life around. And while it doesn't eliminate the storms, it promises, Jesus promises when you follow him that he will be with you in the storm and he will sustain you and stabilize you. So today, maybe it's your brokenness and you feel like, man, I've just messed up so much, Gary. I, I, I didn't think there was a place for me that Jesus would even want to have anything to do with me. Well, my hope is that you hear loud and clear today the heart of heaven for you. And if you want to surrender your life, you can simply, in your own words, from your heart, say, God, I want to trust you. I want to place my life in your hands and follow you and invite you into my mess. I want to invite you to forgive me. And I want to begin a new journey with you. And you say those words. God hears you, he sees you, and he links arms with you. And he says, I am with you. For others of us, maybe you've been a Jesus follower for a long time and as difficult as today has been, maybe you can join me in asking God to use this storm to continue to grow me, that he would build my life in such a way that as I walk through any storm that I face, that I could become steadfast and movable because my life is really built not on temporary things that come and go with the winds, and the rains come. But let it be built on who is immovable and unshakable, the rock of Jesus. Look at me for just a moment here. I, I've invited the team to come back out because I want to give you a chance to ponder what we've talked about with these three rocks and how God might ask you to reevaluate building your life on a firm foundation so they're going to sing a song that is going to give you the opportunity to double down and determine in your heart that, God, I'm running towards you. And I want to say, you're going to be my foundation. You're going to be the priority. I'll fix my eyes on the author and the perfecter of my faith because I need you. So you can sing it out. You can sit and have it sung over you. But would you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and make a faith-filled promise of who you want to be?